safety is a weariness of the flesh. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. May God bless this word. And let's pray. Father, indeed, may you bless your word to our hearts. Speak, Lord, we are longing to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are coming close to the end of this series of messages in the book of Ecclesiastes. We have... Uh, we are in our seventh, or this is the, this is the seventh out of ten messages uh, in this book that is a book that is describing a quest for significance, our yearning for meaning, our yearning for ultimate joy, our yearning for that which satisfies and will satisfy forever. And we have been noticing through these weeks that there are many things that humans try to find happiness, to find meaning, but they are like chasing after the wind. They are, they are pursuing that which at the end of the day amounts to nothing. It's lighter than air. It is vanity. It is futility. But last week we began to turn the corner a little bit. We... we stopped and paused, and we looked at verse 1 of chapter 12, uh, where the writer says, remember also your creator in the days of your youth. And we, we noticed from chapter 3 that we are told that even though there is a time for everything, there is eternity in our hearts. There is an awareness of, a consciousness of that which is eternal. So as, as Matthew shared earlier, we live in time. We in some ways feel constrained by time. There is a time for us to live and a time for us to die. And yet at the same time, we are aware there, there is something immortal. There is something beyond. And we seek it. We desire it. We long for it. And it is that which is beyond, which is our ultimate meaning, and that which is beyond is God himself, the eternal one who alone can satisfy our souls. And last week, as I say, we began to turn our corner to see God, to, to understand that he is revealed to us through nature, through conscience, through outrage. Uh, and through joy and love and the exquisite delights that we have. You know, those moments in your life where just down deep inside, you know you're in touch with something exquisitely joyful, something exquisitely beautiful. And, and those moments where you just, there is something wonderful. There is something awesome. There is something glorious, and God is speaking to you, and God is calling you. Those are echoes of eternity, and, and they help us to remember God. Now, our thinking today and next week is to go a bit further in what do we do once we've remembered God? 
What do we do in order to seek meaning in God? You'll remember that we've said, even if in the quest for significance we try everything under heaven that there is to try, we will not find our meaning here, for our Maker is our meaning. So, if that is true, what does it mean that our Maker is our meaning? Well, it means that we must see God as the one who is the center and focus of everything, or as the author is going to put it, we need to experience God in such a way that we remember that He exists. And folks, this is There are four parts to this, and and I would be so bold as to say this is the secret of life right here. You get this, and you're on your way. Remember that He exists. Reverence who He is. Obey what He says. And enjoy what He gives. There there are the four pillars upon which you can rest your life and live. Remember that He exists. Reverence who He is. Obey what He says. And enjoy what He gives. No matter what's going on in your life, no matter how much you may be suffering or grieving or feel confused and even angry, remember that God exists. No no matter how strong or weak or wise or good you might think yourself to be, reverence who God is. No matter how smart or clever or independent or free-spirited you might feel, Obey what God says, and no matter how hard or sad or deprived your life might become, enjoy what God gives. In other words, in our quest for significance and meaning, we need to stop being wind chasers and start being worshipers. We need to stop chasing after things that don't satisfy. And we must remember that God exists. Reverence who God is. Obey what God says. Enjoy what God gives. And can I, can I say that I share these with you out of experience, if, if I can be so bold as to say that. Those of you who know uh, Galen and me, well, know that uh, by God's plan in our lives, there have been some tough times. There have been some hard things. What I'm teaching you from the Word here are things that we've had to grapple with, we've had to, we've had to rest in. There are times in our lives when it would have been very easy to deny God or to get angry with God. A few years ago, I was asked to summarize what we've been through, and uh, this was what I wrote. I know some of you have heard this before, but bear with me. So here's, here's the summary that I wrote about, I think, four or five years ago. 
Our firstborn child was born, she's now 38 years old, essentially blind in one eye and afflicted with a permanent life-altering everyday affliction that's required countless doctor's visits, numerous, numerous surgical procedures that has brought grief and sorrow to this very day. A few years later, when I turned 30, which just five or six years ago, <laughs> I, had a, I had a bout, actually it was 28 years ago, I had a bout with viral meningitis that left me with an everyday, unceasing, real pain headache. Uh, dozens of doctors and numerous treatments haven't done anything to bring any relief, never mind a cure. I pastored a church for almost 30 years, a small church, and pressed through pain and pressed through hardship and pressed through challenges, just trying to lead a little flock through this broken world. Fast forward to about 10 or 12 years ago with, when within a very few years' time, we, Galena and I lost three of our four parents. We had two fathers, one mother, one sister, one niece, and one 22-year-old son that had cancer. We spent days and weeks and months in hospitals keeping vigil during that stretch as two of our children at different times teetered on the edge of death. We spent months and years nurturing loved ones in acute depression. We were sometimes slandered, sometimes betrayed by others. We had children who struggled spiritually and wandered into a far place. We, we saw my headache worsen to a point where I needed to stop work for a while. We saw in our church financial issues go on over in Jersey so that I actually had to leave the church. They couldn't pay me anymore. And, and the church I'd been in for 30 years, the home we'd lived in for 25 years, all the roots, all the blessings, all the joys that we'd experienced, all of those we had to leave. This all went on. This all went on. Some of them still go on. And yet, through it all, through all the, what I call the years and fears and tears, through it all, God sustained us. And God kept us. And there have been many times when people have asked me, how? How? Friends, I am not exaggerating. I am not doing anything but tell you the truth. This is how. Somehow, in the midst of it all, God enabled us, however imperfectly and incompletely, He enabled us to remember that God exists. To reverence who God is. To obey what God says and to enjoy whatever God gives. This is, in our life and experience, tested truth. It is truth that's been tried in the furnace um, and enabled us somehow to survive. Remember God. Fear God. 
obey God and enjoy God and his gifts to you. And you will find the pillars and foundation for a meaningful, fulfilled life no matter what happens. Let's look at the text. Chapter 12 and verse 1 has said, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Remember Him right now, in other words. Ecclesiastes 12 and verse 13, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Just put that in context. The author is saying, okay, we've spent 11 plus chapters telling you all the possibilities, all the things you can try in order to find meaning and significance in your life. But the end of the matter, all that has been heard, everything that can be said has been said. The end of the matter, all has been heard. So what's the conclusion? What do we do? Fear God and keep His commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. This is the meaning of life. This is what it's all about. Fear God and keep His commandments. In other words, be a worshiper, not a wind chaser. Be a worshiper. Be a worshiper. My message today is is really simple. We're going to talk a little bit about the fear of God, what it is, and then we're going to talk about how to cultivate it in our lives. So, very simple. And as I I start, I, I find it fascinating how humans are fascinated with fear. There's something inside of us. You ever notice this? How we as human beings, we we find a measure of pleasure, of delight in things that scare us. We're weird this way. Little kids, tell them ghost stories and horror stories. And they'll scream and holler and then they'll say, tell me another one. What is up with that? Some of you wacky people, you like horror movies. Why do we do this? What is our fascination with horror? What is our fascination with fear? We we have something inside of us that, that gets terrified but drawn to that which we are afraid of. And that's weird when it comes to horror movies, but there's a there's a more um the right word. There's, there's, there's a more understandable and yet very deep, profound way in which it manifests. It's, it comes to bear when it's July 4th and there's a fireworks display and your little child's eyes are just bugging out of his or her head. This is big. This is beautiful. This is magnificent. And it's appealing. It's delightful. Or it shows up at Super Bowl time. I'm not talking to pay. I'm talking halftime. Where people 
many people long for halftime. And what has to happen this year compared to last year? It has to be more, it has to be bigger and, and more exciting, more smoke, more lights, Lady Gaga dropping from the sky. I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it is, we have this fascination with big, mysterious things. It shows up. That's why people go by the millions to Niagara every year. Because there's something awesome there and we find joy and awe. I remember visiting the Lincoln Memorial in Washington, D.C. If you've been there, I'm guessing you will have experienced what I, I felt in being there. This massive statue of the man and the place feels like a temple. People hushed and quiet and walking slowly and reflecting and you just have this sense that you're in the presence of greatness. It's, it's a, and we find joy in it. You see, it seems like it's a contradiction. It seems like it's a paradox, but there is, there is fascination in fear. There was a, a man back in the 20th century, uh, Rudolf Otto was his name, kind of a philosopher type who, I don't know if he was a believer or not, but he, he studied human responses to fear, to glory, to awesome majesty, to raw power, and, and he summarized it with a, with a Latin phrase, and, and I don't know if you know this, but you know, it, it's fun quoting Latin once in a while just because it makes you look smart and sound smart. Uh, I don't know any Latin other than a few words here and there. And this, this phrase is, is one that, that captures my attention. Mysterium tremendum et fascinans. Mysterium. Speaks of that which is veiled in complete mystery. Someone or something that is inscrutable, that is incomprehensible, that is so majestic that he's robed and shrouded in mystery. Mysterium tremendum speaks of fear and dread in the presence of the mystery. And then et fascinans means fascination appeal. We human beings have this fascination with mystery that makes us afraid. And what it means is that joy and fear are not opposites. Fear and wonder can lead to joy. And that's important. Because when we think about the fear of God, we're not thinking about a fear that fills us with a dread to make us run and hide. We are thinking about a fear that draws us, a fear that fascinates us, that delights us, that appeals to us, that fills us, that, that makes us full of wonder and awe. 
When we, when we think of the fear of God, we are thinking of reverence. We are, we are thinking of worship. We are realizing that God is so majestic. God is so glorious. He is so full of light. He is so full of life. He is so full of power and beauty and purity and goodness and, and holiness and justice and love that He is awesome. He is awesome. And we want to be near. We want to be near. There is fear. There there is a bit of trembling in this. Let's let's not get too cozy with God. Um, There are those. you, You see it often in all different TV, movies, books. You know, that want to bring God down to our size. You know, reduce Him. Uh, came to me this week. They, we so often want to make God brotherly, motherly, and smotherly. You know, just, just, you know, just kind of cozy. God isn't cozy. God is to be feared. The fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of Wisdom. So what is this, Tim? It's, it's an awestruck adoration. Here's my, my simple definition. It is an awestruck adoration inspired by the infinite wonder of God's majesty and by the equally infinite difference between Him and us. It is an awestruck adoration Inspired by the infinite wonder of God's majesty and the equally infinite difference between God and us. It is knowing something of who God is, that God has His place in the universe, and we have our place. God is on the throne, and I'm not. God is Lord. God is Creator. God is all everything, and I am but a creature. That's why it says, remember your Creator in the days of your youth, so that we will recognize our place. No matter how much we're made in God's image, we're not God. It's why the writer says in verse 7 here that the dust Talking about us, the dust of our bodies returns to the earth as it was, and the Spirit returns to the God who gave us. It's, it's a recognition that one day we're going to return to God. We're going to meet God, and that, that creates an awareness of fear. That it should. Some awareness of trembling. It's an awareness that God is our judge. We see this in verse 14. God will bring every deed into judgment. It's an, it's an awareness that God, God knows our secrets. He will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. That means God knows everything. God knows what's going on in your mind right now. God knows what's in your heart. God knows your secrets. He knows. He knows. There's no hiding from Him. There's no place you can go. Where God isn't already there, waiting for you. The fear of the Lord is aware that He is creator. 
He is judge. He is omniscient. He knows everything. He is, he is someone to be reverence. You can't be casual with God. And you know, there are people in the Bible who, who actually get a glimpse of God, and every time it happens, they practically dissolve on the spot. You remember Isaiah in Isaiah 6? In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, seated on the throne. And what's Isaiah's response? Woe is me, I am undone. I'm coming apart. I've just seen God. But how about Peter? Remember, remember the, in, was it Luke chapter 5? Peter's out fishing. Peter's the professional fisherman, and he's, he's out fishing, and he's been fishing all night long, hasn't caught anything. Jesus comes along and says to Peter, uh, Peter, you're, you're fishing on the wrong side of the boat. Throw your net on the other side of the boat. You, you can imagine what's going on in Peter's mind. You know, it was R.C. Sproul used to talk about this. Like Peter's thinking, Lord, you're the teacher. You're the, I'm the fisherman. You're, you're the teacher. I, I know where to throw the net. But Peter throws the net on the other side of the boat, and every fish in the Sea of Galilee jumped in. And what does Peter do? He jumps out of the boat, runs to Jesus' feet, throws himself down on the ground, and he says, depart from me, I am a sinful man. Who said anything about sin? What happened? In that moment, Peter came face to face with God in the flesh, and he couldn't handle the presence of God. Or what about the disciples, the time they were out in the boat, and a raging storm happened. And they're afraid because there's a big storm and it looks like they're going to die. And Jesus wakes up and Jesus says to the storm, be still. And then it says about the disciples, and they were very afraid. They were afraid of the storm they were very afraid when Jesus calmed the storm. Because in that moment, they realized they were in the presence of one who has the power of nature in his voice. And it terrified them. I'm here to tell you right now, folks, if God opened the heavens in our present condition, as mortal human beings, if God opened the heavens... Right now, and even the tiniest ray of his glory was to shine down into this room, we dissolve. He dwells in unapproachable light. He is a glorious God. He is a majestic being. He is not to be trifled with. Fear God. But it doesn't end there. Aren't you glad? It doesn't end there. Because in the scriptures, this fear of God is wedded to love. It's, it's joined to, joined to trust. I want you to hear that. I'm just going to read you several texts right in a row. These, this is the word of God. 
Psalm 2, verse 11. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Notice the connection. Joy and trembling. Joy with fear. Psalm 25 says that the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. God is a friend of those who fear Him. Psalm 31, 19, Oh, how abundant is your goodness, which you have stored up for those who fear you and worked for those who take refuge in you in the sight of the children of mankind. God's goodness is abundantly stored up for those who fear Him. Psalm 33, 18, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear Him, on those who hope in His steadfast love. Psalm 34, 9, Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. Psalm 40, verse 3, He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Psalm 85, 9, surely his salvation is near to those who fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Psalm 86, teach me your way, O Lord, that I might walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. Psalm 103, for as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As a father shows compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. So we fear him trusting him. We fear him knowing his compassion. Psalm 115, you who fear the Lord, trust the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Psalm 118, let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Psalm 147, the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him. Psalm 130, there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. That one mystifies me. There's forgiveness with you. There is pardon and mercy and grace with you, O God, that you may be feared because your mercy and grace are awesome and wondrous. And so we fear the one who forgives, not in cringing terror because we're forgiven, but in adoring love and worship. Psalm 1, or Isaiah 11 and verse 3, Isaiah says that he will delight in the fear of the Lord. Or how about the book of Hebrews where In chapter 4, it says, we may come boldly to the throne of grace to find grace to help in our time of need. And then in chapter 12, it says, we must worship God with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Same book. We come boldly with reverence and awe. Or Acts 9, verse 31 The early church walked in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit. You see, this fear of God is not that which makes us cringe. It is an awareness of His awesome majesty 
that draws us to trust and to rest and to enjoy His power and His goodness in our lives. And this, this, this awed, awestruck awareness of the majesty of God. Solomon says, is the end of the matter. This is the meaning of life. To so know God in His glory and in the wonder of His forgiveness that we worship Him and adore Him and love Him. I grew up singing an old hymn by a man named Frederick Faber. The hymn is called, My God, How Wonderful Thou Art. Hear these words. My God, how wonderful you are. How, your majesty, how bright. How beautiful your mercy seat in depths of burning light. How dread are your eternal years, O everlasting Lord, by prostrate spirits day and night, incessantly adored. How wonderful, how beautiful, the sight of you must be, your endless wisdom, boundless power, and awesome purity. Oh, how I fear you, living God, with deep and tender fear and worship you with trembling hope and penitential tear. Yet I may love you too, O Lord, almighty as you are, for you have stooped to ask of me the love of my poor heart. Did you hear that? Yet I may love you too, O Lord, almighty as thou art. For thou hast stooped to ask of me the love of my poor heart. This is the end of the matter. Let us, let us see some glimpse of the majesty of God. And let us be in awe and wonder. So that no matter what is going on in your life or mine, so no matter how hard it is, no, no matter how difficult and mysterious it is, we know, we remember that God exists and we reverence who God is no matter what's happening. No matter how many people have cancer who are in my life. No matter how long the headache goes. No matter how deep the suffering of my child, no matter how far away they wander, my God reigns and I will reverence Him and fear Him and I will bow before Him for He and He alone is God. I will let God be God. 
I will let God be God. And friends, when you bow before that throne, you find rest. Until you bow before that throne, yours will be a restless and a troubled and a fear-filled and an angry and perhaps even a rebellious heart. But when you know that God is God, there is a God, there is but one God. He is the living and the true God. He is the creator of the heavens and the earth. He is the one who sits on the throne. He is the one who is high and lifted up, who is sovereign, who is almighty, who is all-knowing, who is all-wise, who is all-good, who is all-holy, who never makes any mistakes, who is king, who is king. You can bow your head and say, here I rest my soul in the hands of one so infinitely good, so infinitely great. Oh, we need to respond, don't we? We need to respond. I want to ask you if you would um, just bow your heads. Um, And then I'm going to ask the band if they'll come and and get ready. We're going to sing in just a moment. Um, you may be wondering, well, how do I, how do I cultivate a view of God like this? I've never thought of God this way before. Certainly haven't thought of him much this way before. Um, there, there are two things I think you can think about. One is, I think you can just spend some time just considering the character of God and the majesty of God, His attributes, His love, His power, His glory, His wonder. Just, just make that a habit of your life. But there's another way to find yourself in awe of God. It's to think about the cross of Jesus Christ. For there has been no greater display of the majesty of God, the awesome splendor of God, than what happened on the cross. You know what happened there? What happened there is two things. God's infinite holy justice and God's infinite glorious love met on the cross. On the cross, God in the flesh paid the punishment for your sin and mine. He satisfied justice His just and holy law by taking the penalty that we deserved. On the cross, we see how holy God is and how horrible sin is. Because in order to atone for sin, God in the flesh had to die. Oh, this is awesome. This is wondrous. This is who God is. So holy That the only way for our sin to be atoned for was for Him to offer Himself in our place. But so loving that He was willing to do it. And so justice and mercy kissed on the cross. 
Oh, my friends, have you responded to this God? Have, have you responded with reverence that says, Lord, you are God and I'm not you. You alone are on the throne and, and Lord, your glory is manifested on the cross. I see there, I see there that you were so holy that you had to punish sin, but so loving that you took the punishment for me. Have you ever responded to that? This would be a wonderful time to respond to that. In your own heart, you can pray, Lord, show me your glorious grace. The majesty of your love, dear Father. For I believe that your Son died for me. I believe that he rose from the dead. I believe he is Lord. I believe, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are God and I need you. I surrender my life to you. You can do that right where you are. If you will sincerely repent of your sin, trust in Jesus. Fear God and trust his amazing promise of mercy in Christ and you will be saved. You'll go home right with God. You'll go home a new creation in Christ. You'll go home a new person. Will you believe? Will you respond? Will you respond? Believe and be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord and you will be saved. Let's quietly pray and worship. And then in a moment or two, let's respond by singing to this great God, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. Let's reflect before him. Well, amen. Church, today we've seen this infinite difference between God and us. He is creator. We are creation. He is eternal. We are time-bound. He is infinite. We are finite. And he is holy. And we are sinful. What kind of response should we show to this God? And as Tim said today, we must remember he exists, reverence who he is, obey what he says, and enjoy what he gives. And it all starts with that remembering. Can't do the other ones if you forget God. Our tendency is to walk out those doors and forget who God is, to fail to remember, to push him to the periphery, to the side of our minds and our hearts. Maybe you're more independent, the kind of person who's, who thinks as you walk through life, I got this. That's my temptation. Or maybe it's ignorance where you just didn't, weren't aware of who God is. And today, your eyes were opened to see this infinite difference between God and us. Either way, whether it's independence or ignorance, God calls us to remember who he is. 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 16 God, he who is the blessed and only sovereign, 
the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Let me ask for God's help for us to remember him this week. Heavenly Father, we need your help. Lord, our tendency is to forget you, to fail to remember you. So Holy Spirit, help us, Lord, as we go about this week, as we go about our lives to remember who you are so we can live rightly in response to who you are as our infinite God and Savior in Christ Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.